Today's scripture reading is from Obadiah. It's um, verses 10 through 12. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. It's, it's good to be here together. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at, uh, again, at Redemption Tucson. It's just good to be together here as a, as a congregation in this way that we're able. And I do want to acknowledge we're in some new, some new digs this morning. Um, uh, Vineyard Church has been so gracious to um, allow us to use their sanctuary right now to film this because you probably don't know, but everyone who led last week was um, suffering. They were sweating bullets because uh, the air conditioner in the room that we had been able to use broke, and it was over 100 degrees. And so Corey preaching and everyone else who was a part of that um, just was, was, again, enduring and suffering on our behalf. So I want to thank all of them. And it was just, it was, I'll even share with you for me, um, something that I did want to give an, an um, update on. I think I shared it the last time I preached, but um, was it my dad was sick? Well, last week he actually passed away and um, on Saturday night, and our Redemption Tucson church service was like a memorial for me, um, just to get to worship God, to, to hear the word preached again by um, Corey, for Jenny and, and Joel to lead through that, that, that worship set, even those, those words in the, in the response of, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when I don't feel it, you're working, you never stop, you never stop. Um, having just, again, a, a, a day before stood next to my dad um, while we took him off of him, kind of looking later, and then him passing away was incredibly ministering to my heart. And um, I just, this COVID season we're in is like no other. I've known other friends who've had to um, say goodbye to their own, own family, and so do, I honestly never thought that would be me um, during this, this time, but it made me all the more thankful just for our church and the fact that I was able to worship and be a part of the service and, and weep and be ministered to um, by my church family was such a blessing. So um, with that, let's just go ahead and, and, and pray um, as we transition into our time, as we continue through these minor prophets. And we're now in Obadiah uh, this morning. So you can go ahead and turn there if you want, and, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll pray and, and dive in there together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are our Father because of Jesus, as we've all already heard about and sung about and talked about this morning and even get to look into a bit more as we look at Obadiah and um, you having a Father's heart that in some ways looks like um, judgment and, and calling out pride and evil, and, and yet we also know there's hope in Christ and I pray that that would be the dominant theme, that that's what we, would, we will walk away from this morning, what we will be shaped by this morning is, is your gospel 
Again, the, the good news of Jesus and all that he has done and who he is. And, and, and Lord, I pray that in this time now that our eyes will be open to see your glory and your, your severe justice and righteousness, and that in that context, the beauty and glory and grace of Christ will be all the more clear. So we ask that by your spirit, you will oversee our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I, as I mentioned, um, my dad just passed away, and um, I, I never thought, honestly, this is the first time I've ever preached through the book of Obadiah. I'm not going to say it every time because it's obviously hard for me to get, get it out, right? Get it out already. But, um, but I, I actually, in this week of mourning and grieving, I've actually seen a lot of parallels, and it's, it's helped um, me kind of process this. In fact, um, let me just kind of paint a picture for you. My, my dad, I, I've shared before, and some of you don't even wouldn't know this, me being a, a short guy like I am. He was six foot two. Um, he was in the military, then a police officer, then a construction worker, and he always drove big old trucks. And um, actually, the, the day after he passed away, I was out kind of sorting some things, and I got to I found one of his hats, and at first it was just kind of practical, and I, I put it on to kind of keep the sun off of my, off my neck. Um, like Jake Wilhelm, he also had a big head, so this, uh, Jake, I love you, um, but just, uh, just kidding, right, if you remember me fumbling around with the mic, but um, my dad had a huge head, and um, I was wearing one of his hats, and then I had to take a huge load of stuff to the um, Salvation Army to be, to do donate. And my dad always went to the dump. He was kind of one of those guys that would take more stuff home from the dump than he would bring. But I have tons of memories of driving in the truck with my dad to and from the dump. And so here I was, and even to add to it, I had my, I, my dad was also kind of an OG. And so I, I had these, you know, glasses on and I'm driving in his old truck. It was like Sanford and Son, just kind of bouncing around. I actually had to turn the heater on to keep it from overheating. I had to stop at one point and check the oil. It was a, it was a, a scene. Um, but, uh, but, but I, I was also able to kind of process some things that my dad had shared with me in, in his trucks over the years and stuff I was able to, to learn and, and process and um, talk about. At the very end of his life, my dad actually con confessed faith in Christ, which I'm incredibly thankful for. And um, that obviously shapes this time a lot. But even before that, long before that, things like God's sovereignty and the bigness of all events in human history and how each one is necessarily dependent on the other. And my dad shared things like that. Um, again, even before he had saving faith in Christ, he, he, he kind of shaped my theology and my faith even before he knew that's what he was doing. And one thing that he shared with me was my older brother, uh, just older than me, and I were in the truck with him. We would always ride like that, he deep in the truck, again, bouncing around. And, um, and, and, and we were arguing. And my dad said, guys, when brothers fight, the father bleeds. And as I prepared for this sermon this week and look at Obadiah, the theme is really brothers fighting. And God stepping into that and revealing himself and his, how much he cares about what's going on among his creation, among the people that he created to bear his image and to reflect who he is in, in, in all that we do, including and especially how we relate with one another. 
And so that idea of brothers fighting goes all the way back to the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters into the world, which is when Adam and Eve said, I don't want my identity or my purpose or my relationships or all that I do to, to flow from God and from my relationship with him, but I want to do it my way. I want to figure out things. My, I want to figure out what works best for, for me. And that's where sin enters in. And we rebelled against God and discord, relational discord, entered in in every way. And then just in the very next chapter, the first murder takes place where Cain and Abel get into a fight and there's pride and there's jealousy and there's, and there's anger and brother kills brother. So that's some of the context of where we find ourselves as we get into Obadiah this morning. Now, Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only 21 verses long. And yet, um, God uses it to, to, to kind of be a, a picture of, of something much bigger, of, of how God f- feels about and then deals with, with pride and with jealousy and with mockery. And then like every one of these books, it also ends with a clear picture of hope and of grace. So with that, let's go ahead and dive in and start in Obadiah um, verse, verse 1. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling. So what happens here in the first part of Obadiah is God is calling out judgment on this people group, Edom, on this nation of Edom, who they had been at war with Israel. And then after Israel split into the northern tribes, Israel, and the southern tribes, Judah. And these minor prophets, different ones, address different groups of those two people. But specifically here, we're dealing with Judah. And they had been at war with Edom multiple times. And it came to a head when, when Judah, when God's people were, were overwhelmed, were pillaged, were ransacked by Babylon, a pagan nation that knew nothing of God and had all these different false gods. And they pillaged Judah, God's people. And Edom stood by, not just silent, though that is in itself a sin and God speaks into that, but also mocking and participating in this exploitation, in this, in this evil against God's people. And God is angry about it. And he says, listen, I'm going to deal with you. Judgment is coming, Edom. I'm going to make you small. And he cares deeply about that. And then we get a hint of that as we get in now to verse 10, where we were what actually read earlier, that, that, that the, the language shifts, right? So we start here with Edom and Judah, but then in verse 10, I'll just read um, some here, and we're going to read uh, verses 10 through 14. The language shifts a bit to a little bit more personal, more familial language, where we start to understand how this idea of brothers fits into it. In verse 10, Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. 
your, your brother Jacob. Well, how is that? Well, again, um, Edom and Judah are the two nations, the people groups. But if you trace back a little bit further, um, there were two brothers. They're actually twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, God changed his name to Israel. And then from there, the 12 tribes of Israel, his, his sons were born, and that formed the people group of, again, Israel, and then later Israel and Judah. And Esau, the other brother, they were at odds, and they fought. And God talked about his covenant, his promise being poured out on um, Jacob. And, and the, there are times where Esau shows favor and forgiveness even toward Jacob, and then times where, where there's actually great animosity and fighting. And it happened in their lives and then throughout this whole time. So just to zoom back, okay, just to help us set uh, some of the perspective here. Um, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, right? The, up until that point, after Genesis 3, when sin enters in to the world, um, it, God's people, all of creation, we've used this imagery when we walked through Judges before, but is like a toilet bowl getting worse and worse and worse. And then you have Noah, and that came to a culmination there. And, and, and then God, right, spared um, Noah's family, and there was a, a great flood. And then still right out of the gates, right after that flood, ugly sin enters in again. And then fast forward to Genesis chapter 11, um, the Tower of Babel, and there's this like, oh no moment where it almost, the scales are almost tipped um, irrevocably, where God's people are like, let's make a name for ourselves so we don't need God at all. We'll build a structure up to the heavens and we'll find our identity and our purpose once and for all apart from him. Well, God in his severe grace swipes that right out of that whole plan. He topples that tower. He scatters the people. They have different languages. And then in the very next chapter, chapter 12, he focuses in on Abram, who he later changes his name to Abraham, right? Father Abraham. Um, and he tells him, I'm going to establish uh, a great many people that will outnumber the stars. And through you and through your family, uh, every family in the entire earth will be blessed. Well, Jacob and Esau are Abraham's grandchildren. Okay, after Abraham, he has two kids, Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac became the father of the Jewish people, and Ishmael became the father of the Muslim people, right? We know something about, again, the animosity and the discord there historically. And then Isaac had these two boys, these twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And so that's why in verse 10, the language shifts to, you've stood by and participated in the violence of your brother Esau. But why is God so mad? Is it just at the violent acts? Well, again, it digs in even more. He says, on the day that you stood aloof, so again, you kind of stood back watching, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You participated in this. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives 
do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. And yet that's what they did. That's what the Edomites or the children of Esau did. And God is stepping in and he is furious. Well, why is he so angry? Well, church, what we need to learn from this, hear me now, is not just his faithfulness to his covenant promise to Jacob and to the people of Jacob, even in their moment of greatest suffering and distress, though that is important and we need to sit there and understand that. That is a dominant theme throughout all of these prophets. But we also see in this short book, hear me, God hates pride. Look back, I referred to it earlier, in verses Two through four. This is what God says, actually beginning in verse three. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Again, God hates pride, and we see here his fierce commitment to dealing with pride. That God says, listen, though you think you're so lofty right now, you think you're untouchable, you sit there and the pride of your heart is revealed by how you relate with your, your brother, with how you relate with, 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 with fellow um, heirs of Abraham. You're mocking, you're looking down on them, you're looking, and you're kind of saying, that could never happen to me. And God says, listen, the day is coming. I'm dealing with that pride. He hates pride. In fact, in Proverbs um, chapter 15, let me just read two verses, and there are many, but in Proverbs chapter 15, it says this, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. And then in the New Testament even, in James chapter four, verse six, says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's quoting Psalm 138. So from Old Testament to New Testament, we see God hates pride. Again, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters into the world, it's ultimately born out of pride, out of a false. So what is pride? It's a false view of self, right? What we just saw, it's it's too lofty of a view of self, and then it's a false view of others. It's, oh, they're there, they're in their distress, they're in their demise, they're in their sin, they're in their unrighteousness, and I'm out here because of my own doing, because of something that's true about me, and then something else opposite that's true about them. We are distant, I am lofty, they are low. And ultimately, what that is, is it's always a false view of God. Okay, lack of humility and pride, which leads to scoffing, which leads to looking down on others, to mocking, to participating in in evil toward others, shows such a low view of God. It, It actually is replacing God with ourselves. Again, this idea of the eagle soaring or the clefts of the rock, it's that's the highest you could possibly be. And so God's anger toward them is actually born out of a love as well that says, listen, you think you're the highest, but that's a terrible place to be. God and God alone soars like the eagle above all things. God and God alone 
write numbers and names the stars. We learn in Isaiah that God and God alone can hold the depths of the oceans in like the palm of his hand. And God and God alone can, can measure the expanse of the sky in the span of his hands from the thumb to his end of his forefinger. God and God alone is that great and that significant. And he's calling out this pride and he's declaring, listen, judgment is coming. And then the language shifts again, not just on Edom, but in verse 15. Look with me there. For the day of the Lord is near upon who? All the nations. So the language has shifted from Edom, this people group, these nations, and then it goes to, listen, you have, you have committed evil against your brother, Jacob, and then now the message this has been there throughout the entire prophets and especially these minor prophets of kind of zooming out and the day of the Lord is coming. And as we talked about, there's a specific day of the Lord where God will judge evil on Edom and on other nations that he calls out, Assyria, Babylon, along the way. But then also you zoom out and you see this bigger picture that's still to come, that's somewhere off on the horizon where the day of judgment is coming where the day that God deals with pride once and for all on all the nations and all the people of the earth. So look ahead with me to the New Testament where we see this picture of the day of the Lord coming. In Matthew chapter 25, in that whole section you can, you can read and it actually is, is super helpful and, and really fits in here, but specifically verses 31 through 34 of Matthew chapter 25 says this, when the son of man comes in his glory, that's Jesus. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And for those who are not a part of his fold, a part of his sheep, he will judge. So this day of the Lord, which we see Jesus ushering in one day when he returns like he promised that he will do. Church, hear me. Individual, hear me now. Look at me. This is both absolutely terrifying and absolutely glorious. That the day is still coming when Jesus will say, those of you who belong to me, you participate in my righteousness. Enter into my glorious kingdom once and for all. But then those who have scoffed, who have been too proud to turn to him, to be considered one of his own, to give their lives to him. We see in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, he will say, depart from me, you workers of evil, you workers of lawlessness, I never knew you. And church, what I feel compelled even to share right now is that in that moment, on that day, there will be some who think they're a part of his body, 
who say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not fulfill many good works in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. But then others who are a part of his, who have given their lives to him, he will again say, enter into my rest. Enter into my presence. You, you are a recipient of Christ's righteousness. So what's the difference there? Pride, which hinders repentance. Church, repentance means turning from self and turning to God. It's acknowledging I am not high and lofty. I'm not above anyone else. I don't scoff at others in their shame and in their suffering. I don't have such a high view of myself that it actually reveals or reflects a wrong view of others and most tragically, a wrong view of God. Um, Tim and Kathy Keller, who I've referred to before, this little book that I've, I, I re re read, it's a daily devotional. And this is what they said a couple of days ago. Only through deep reverence for God and openness to being instructed by him will we get a proper sense of self, of realistic humility. This reminds us also that at the most fundamental level, it is only through repentance, the ultimate teachability that we can be saved at all. To humble yourself in repentance and believe in Jesus as Savior brings you the ultimate honor and glory, the eternal love of God. Paradoxically, that means like two seemingly incompatible things that are both true. Paradoxically, the one who grants himself no glory before the glorious God in the end is crowned with the glory and wealth that give him social esteem. So again, in a nutshell, true humility means a right view of self. Or even as I quoted someone else, explained a healthy skepticism of self that leads to repentance, that says, God, I am not here. I'm not above anyone else. Churches, we've shared this idea before that ultimately leads us to when we see others in sin or others suffering, that it should roll off our tongues. But for the grace of God, that would be me. In this context that we're in right now, when we see people afraid and terrified and perhaps we don't understand it, that we would say, I'm not going to encourage or coddle that fear, but outside of God's intervention, outside of his mercy and grace, I would be terrified. And then perhaps even we explore, God, why am I not afraid? And, and if our answer too quickly leads to propping ourselves up in high and lofty clefts of the rock, then we should be convicted. And hopefully it leads us to seeing, wow, God, your grace has been so clear in my life. Your gospel is so real, not by any work of my own. Again, just to keep this going, we see racism and bigotry, and we see consumerism, sexism, any other kind of sin that is reflected throughout how we relate with one another in society that hopefully our first flinches God, your grace has been so significant in my life that outside of you changing my heart, I would be right there. 
The Apostle Paul said that same kind of thing. He said he was the worst of all sinners. He called himself a wretched man that I am. And church, what I want to encourage us with is that this ends with the message of hope. The day of the Lord is coming. And the end, it says this in verses 20 and 21. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negeb. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And the message here is not just, though the people, the first audience of this didn't really get it, the message is not just, oh, if you're in Judah, you're good. The day is coming for you to be, if you're a part of Esau, oh, there's no hope. What we know from the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that through repentance in him, through, through turning to faith in him and in him alone, there is hope and, and glory and joy for all of those who are found to be part of his fold. And again, Jesus's message throughout the New Testament is it's not your religious deeds. It's not your nation of origin. It's not your ethnicity. It's not all the stuff that you do that sets you apart from anyone else. It's the fact that God has dealt with judging the evil of pride once and for all. And earlier I shared that phrase, when brothers fight, the father bleeds. And actually what we know is when brothers fight, the father grieves and hates that sin. But when brothers fight, he sent his only son to bleed in our place. That because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of Jesus reconciling us to God, through humbling our hearts, by God giving us eyes to see and ears to hear and new hearts, by being born again, we can now live as a reconciled people where we're shaped by humility, by how we talk about others, by how we, how we view what's going on in the world around us. The things we say, the things that, that we do are like the fruit of a tree that, are, that reflect humble hearts that reconcile, or that, sorry, that recognize or display God's grace, a humility that we can't fabricate or muster up. So church, now as we close in response, my prayer is that we will respond in humble worship, that our lives will be such where we, we demonstrate and we proclaim and we visualize, we illustrate through our relationships with each other and with the world around us, humble repentance that points to the hope of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Again, Heavenly Father, um, I pray that as probably has been the case this whole time through these minor prophets, that we are convicted where we need to be convicted and then encouraged. Lord, I pray that we are brought before the glorious throne of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we look to you and are humbled 
but not humbled in thinking less of ourselves and thinking, oh, woe is me. But just as we walk through every Sunday morning, as we walk through the the confession and the assurance of grace, that we would confess outside of your intervention the depths of our sin. And then from there, Lord, we will be free to stand in the assurance of grace, humbled and yet empowered by the good news of the gospel that you have forgiven us because you've already dealt with our pride. So all these things we pray and we proclaim and we now sing because of Jesus' name, amen.